Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So it's been over a week since the film The Murder of George Floyd in broad daylight. And I'm tired, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm despondent. But this week I have also seen courage and amassed hope like never before that this cannot continue. I refuse. My name's Brenda Malinke. The loss of Mr. George Floyd has really hit me hard. Um, it's really impacted me personally, even though I didn't know him because he represents my brothers, my friends, lovers, um, my son, all the men in my life, they could be him. And it's really hard to feel so powerless. George Floyd's murder was not the first. And unfortunately, I know that it won't be the last. Um, police brutality against black bodies is a global phenomenon that doesn't just exist in America. The UK is not innocent and neither is France or any Western country. Even in Africa, we're seeing um, places like Nigeria and Sudan speak out against law enforcement. For me, George Floyd's death just um, shows, honestly, it's a glimpse of the racism that we as black people face, um, we still face in society today. I mean, racism has been here for, we've been facing racism for over 400 years. And it's just so crazy to see, even in a pandemic, that we're still getting killed and people still have the time to be racist to us. So you can see how deep and systematic that issue is. So I think, honestly, the protests are definitely an appropriate um, response to, to this. My name is Daniela Genus. I am the founder of She's the Boss International. And right now I'm feeling pretty fed up, um, but also quite detached and apathetic. I expected that at the point where I saw such a level of, um, I suppose, outrage and crying out for justice, in relation to racism and the fact that Black Lives Matter, that I'd feel happy, that I'd feel uplifted, that I'd feel empowered. But actually, I kind of feel like I just don't even want to look at anything. I don't want to speak about it. I just want it to be over. Um, I don't want to have to explain to my daughter why people are writing and protesting and the fact that it's because people that are the same colour as her, as me, as her dad, are not treated fairly, are murdered, are denied opportunities. I don't want to have to explain to white people that I'm friends with or that I know 
why it's important for them to help to dismantle racism. I don't want to have anybody ask me if I'm okay, because I'm not. Hi, my name is Naomi, and I've been finding this week, or the past few weeks, really difficult. The weekend was really, really hard, sort of watching everything unfold after the murder of George Floyd. I, I tweeted about how hard it was to have to try and spend the day avoiding a horribly traumatising video and the, the horrible fact that that video has to play over and over again for people to realise and be aware of what, what's happening to black people in America but also to, to black people all over the world where they are treated as lesser than by by society and I was struck by the fact that I never have to worry that I will see a white person die on my social media feed because their deaths don't have to play over and over again to get the attention that they deserve and the justice that they deserve and it's heartbreaking to see black people having to leave their houses to protest during a pandemic which we know is disproportionately killing us and it just highlights what what, what has always been a terribly unfair situation but at the moment it just feels even more so watching amy cooper call the cops on a man who is simply watching the birds in the park and who had the audacity to speak to her. And then the next day to see George Floyd being killed in a way that if Amy Cooper had had her way, that would be the result. And to see those two things line up in this time where we all need to be careful and we all need to be looking out for each other is deeply heartbreaking. It is, it is, it is beyond enough. It is rending of, a, of a, an entire body, of an, of an entire being. I am tired. I feel constantly injured. And there's nothing you can do but to cry out for, this, for the end of it. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of Black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Roshan. You can call me Shan. I'm Livs. This week on the podcast, we're discussing violence against the Black community. Um, so this week, guys, we are discussing the events that have taken place over the past few weeks, which I think from a social media perspective in particular have been has been really difficult for all of us to consume. You know, going from George Floyd, who was very publicly um, and visibly murdered at the hands of the police, 
Um, and I think one of the more difficult things around this is that we recognize that he was somebody's father, somebody's son, somebody's brother, and could have been a part of any one of our families. So I think this week, um, in the vein of providing safe spaces, not only for everyone, not only for other Black women, but also for ourselves, we wanted to just take this time to talk amongst ourselves, to share stories, to talk about how we're feeling, but also give a platform to some of the other women in the group who have expressed how they're feeling at this time. I think we both know that this, we all know, sorry, that this isn't the first time that this has happened. And it unfortunately probably won't be the last time, but I think it's important for us to provide a safe space for us to talk about how we're feeling and hopefully what will happen moving forward and what's happening across the diaspora so not just what's happening in the US but what's happening in the UK and across the globe so let's get into it also Leanne Ali our producer will be joining us today as she um, definitely is deserving of the safe space to express how she's talking about how she's feeling and how we've all been feeling really and the discussions that we've been having amongst each other um, during the course of this week guys uh, how is everybody feeling in in very honest, real terms. Exhausted. Um, kind of almost uh, immune at this point. Um, you know, it's one of the things that I think is the most upsetting is when I first saw or heard about the death of George Floyd, you know, of course I was upset, I was angry, but I wasn't shocked shocked was not an emotion that came to me and I think that's the part which is really disturbing and really worrying um you know when we think about the Black Lives Matter movement you know this is something that was founded in 2013 we're now in 2020 and it's almost like nothing has changed it's almost like you could blink and the last seven years haven't happened yeah I mean I'm just exhausted (laughs) So exhausted, and it's weird because obviously this has happened time and time again, but I haven't felt this emotionally charged about any of these other situations apart from this one, mm. and I'm not sure I think it's I think it's a bunch of things I think it's because the the video that we keep seeing on our news screens on our mobile phones on social media, we keep seeing the step the death of this man again and again and again. And that's that's traumatic. That's like real shit. Like it's not normal to see. And that is something that I'm just finding really exhausting, the fact that that image has been normalized. But I think also the amount of noise there is on social media. And when I say that, there's noise on social media in terms of the content that I've kind of curated for myself on like your Twitter feed. It's all the people that you follow and mostly have your same views and I kind of just feel like for the first few days we're all just kind of like shouting in this own echo chamber and we're all preaching to the converted and I was just getting really frustrated because yeah we all agree the same thing here but this is not the people that need to be hearing what we're saying you know so I would agree that this time feels different as well And I don't know whether that has to do with the fact that I'm slightly older and I've matured and I've got more knowledge and my views have become more um, well-rounded. But, you know, I do think that 
what is different from this time from previous occasions is it doesn't feel like as much as an echo chamber anymore. Like definitely in the past where I've seen conversation about Black Lives Matter, it's kind of always solely come from black people talking to other black people. And I think that is definitely changing and it's kind of reaching the public and the mainstream in a way that it hasn't in previous years. So, and that that's contributed to the noise, both good and bad. And I think that that's kind of stemmed from the fact that with the video, I personally have not watched the whole thing in its entirety. But for a lot of people who have, or have even watched the start and the ending, you literally watch that video and die with him. Because it's like, you see him from the beginning stages of when he's pinned down, and then you watch him deteriorate over time. And that's just such an intimate space that you don't ever get to be in with even your family members. That's an intimate space that nobody would want to be in with anybody. Like, realistically, it doesn't matter who it is that you love in the world and you want to be with them till the end. You don't want to see someone in such a vulnerable position. And it's like, we're all watching this person that equally, arguably could be our dads, our uncles, our brothers, our cousins, our partners. I mean, we're watching it at the stage where we can't do anything. So I feel like now it's like, because we've literally seen like someone lose their life with our own eyes, it's like now I think the emotion's there because it's like, it feels more real. So like for me personally, when I normally see these things happen, I don't have all my friends talking about it. Not at all. It's something that I see online on social media and maybe like the odd friend commenting on. But right now I've got my white friends talking about it, my Asian friends talking about it everybody's talking about it. It's not just us, like what I did for saying, or the Adam was saying about the echo chamber thing. Like, it, de- it definitely feels like this time around, there's going to be movement to it. And I just hope that there is, because I've seen so much content online of like, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the video, but it's like a, a black man who's like 30, and he's talking to a 16-year-old, and then there's a 41-year-old man. And he's like, I was doing this when I was your age. You're going to do this when I'm my age. Like, you, that, like the fighting's not the way. You've got to find another method. And, like, when I watched that video, it stuck with me because it's like, well, what is the other method? What what can we actually all do to try and make the world a better place? Because I don't... I would really hate it if when I have children, they're in this exact same position that I'm in now, having this exact same conversation where they're like, I watched a video of this person die. And by then, technology's going to be even better. Do you know what I mean? It's going to be even more graphic. It's going to be even more gruesome. It's just, it's just crazy. Yeah, I think um, I'm already crying. I think it's difficult for me because I have been in that situation and I have seen my own father pass away. So when you say that, Sean, it actually, literally, as you're as you're watching the video, you can it it brings up trauma, you know. And I think that's the the thing that is so infuriating to me at this point in time is that what some of the things that I've been experiencing during this past week is the opposite of what you guys have been is that I think people are more desensitized to it. And especially within the Caribbean community, I think people don't get how serious it actually is because they're like, you know, the opposite has happened. And it's really disheartening for me to hear people from the black community blaming black people for the situation that has happened. And I think people are forgetting and separating themselves from the fact that actually this could have been your father or this could have been your brother. And not be- there's nothing that will change that. No amount of money, no amount of distinction in social class or social status will prevent somebody from being shot down in public by the police because they're Black. Um, 
And so for me, who I, I feel like I've been talking about this for a long time and maybe it is because I'm older, but I'm slightly like disillusioned and disheartened and feeling a little bit hopeless at the moment and incredibly frustrated with not, I expect it from white, you know, I expect people, white people not to get it, but it's really disheartening when I hear black people saying, oh, you know, he shouldn't have been paying with counterfeit money or when people say, oh, if, you know, he, if he wasn't involved in drugs, he wouldn't have been in that situation. So I think it's, it's, that's how I've been feeling anyway. And it, and I think it speaks to the issues that we're having or where these issues actually stem from, because I think we all have to remember that slavery ended in 1838, like over a century ago. And these are still issues that are stemming from this. And the fact that it's been going on for such a long time, I mean, the civil rights movement wasn't that long ago. And the fact that we haven't been able to move past the actual killing of people, like we're not talking about legislative change. We're not talking about, um, you know, allowing people access to uh, a more black centric or Afrocentric education. We're literally talking about people's lives. And this, the, the slighting of that for me has been really frustrating. The fact that people are talking about the looting more than the murder itself, I think is really disheartening. Um, so yeah. Um, I mean, how do you guys feel about where these acts have stemmed from? Uh, we just mentioned slavery, uh, but obviously throughout the years, we've seen more of this happening. And do you guys think that there's a, a shift or there's a reason for that? I think it's interesting because I've been having a lot of conversations with like friends and family about this. And luckily, a lot of people do understand the fact that this is not a US-centric issue this is also a very real mm-hmm. UK issue and if you look back at kind of the history of kind of violence against black people in the UK it goes back 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 like even after the abolition of slavery which the UK thinks they were you know all right for it, it just goes back into like after World War One and like all these riots just like year after year after year after year and I was reading something earlier because I was reading and I was like, I've literally consumed so much information on social, quote unquote information, but I feel like I haven't actually taken anything in, which is another worrying thing. The way that they used to do political campaigns in the UK, they were so anti-black. It was ridiculous. I remember one of the slogans that I saw was like, um, if you want an N-word for a neighbour, vote Labour. Wow. And that was a real political campaign. and that was only in like the 60s. I mean, I think even now it's interesting. I think people, as you said, don't recognize that the UK um, is has as many problems as the US does. Because when you look at the prison population, black British men are actually arrested and convicted and incarcerated at a disproportionately higher rate than the United States. When you take into account like difference in population, etc., the rate at which black people are incarcerated in this country is actually worse than it is in the US. So I don't know where that narrative came from, but yeah, it's definitely one that needs to be clarified. I think one of the reasons why um, this idea that the UK is doesn't have a race issue or doesn't experience racism, I think one of the reasons why that argument is allowed to be believed or is allowed to be... Um, 
you know, justified is because when you don't have like historical factual evidence in the same way, people take that as, um, you know, ah, see, look, like we never had Jim Crow, you know, we never had the civil rights movement. We never had black people um, having to fight for the right to vote. We never had like those hallmarks of history aren't the same in Britain. And so, and they're a lot more like under the covers and they're a lot more hidden. Um, You know, people find it easier to be like, oh, because there wasn't a Jim Crow law, it means because there wasn't officially segregation in the UK, like, oh, that means racism wasn't as bad as a problem, which is ridiculous. But that's what people do with history. They like pick and choose the points and facts in order to defend their own side of the argument. And like, there's just a massive lack of understanding. Like, did any of you guys learn about slavery at school? Only in America, never in the UK. I didn't learn about it at all. No, I think the only way I know about it was um, watching the Roots film at my that's aunt's so house. That's crazy. That's the only knowledge I have about learning on it, which is why, like, in the early stages of the podcast, I've I've said, like, opening with a lot of things that I wasn't really aware of because I just, I just wasn't that really exposed to it so much. And I think going back on to what Liz was saying a minute ago about um, racism in the UK, like, everything that's been going on, has been making me think a lot about things that I've experienced. And I feel like microaggressions up until um, like two or three years ago were something that I've, I, was, I thought was normal. So to be treated, to experience racism, to me was normal. Like, do you understand? Like, oh, I'm just getting so upset. It's just, it's, it's just frustrating me because it's just like, it wasn't until I was like, um, it wasn't until I got to uni where I was, extremely extremely aware that i'm the only black person in that sort of space that i started to realize that everything was more heightened and then i started to like like learn more about it and have more of an understanding about what was actually happening but prior to that all of these sort of microaggressions all of these sort of like racist remarks i was called an n-word when i was like 10 i just brushed it off like i didn't ever hear that word at home growing up but i just brushed it off like I've had mad, like, I mean, in primary school, I had some mad questions and mad statements that my friend's mum might have said to me or my friends might have said to me. And I didn't really understand at the time what the hell it meant. And looking back, it's like, that's why I'm so desensitised to certain stuff because I grew up thinking that was normal. Do you get what I mean? Like, when you're... that's And that's why I think sometimes when you see black people and they're not talking up or they're not doing all these things and they're not thinking that it's wrong... Obviously, there comes a point where you have to learn for yourself. But it's like, they might be desensitised to it and think it's normal because that is their norm. And they just don't know any better. Do you you get what I'm trying to say? No, that's that's insane. Yeah, I would say, just to pick up on that point, one of the things that has been happening on social media a lot, which I find um, isn't very progressive and isn't very helpful, is like um, people's calling out other black people or other celebrities and saying, oh, this person's mm. a coon. Um, mm. And I think that isn't helpful because, as you said, Roshan, a lot of the time people, they aren't stupid. They're aware that racism exists, but they're kind of like, do you know what? Like, not everyone is born to be an activist. Some people just are like, I'm just trying to live. Like, I'm just trying to get by. That doesn't make them a coon. Like, some people aren't... Some people are just like trying to get by and they might, you know, like as you said, they've just got so used to it that they don't have the energy to call it out every time. But I feel like sometimes we're so quick to judge 
and that's not helpful or progressive yeah i definitely think there's a distinction to be made between people who may not feel comfortable taking up an activist role because you're 100 percent right it's not for everybody and i don't expect everybody to take up that mantle but when people are actively condemning people from their own community right. um that then is is frustrating and upsetting to me because I, I i mean for me i grew up learning about slavery it was probably three of the five years of my high school education in my history lessons really yeah 100 percent. we learned about the british feudal system we learned about slavery we learned about indentured servitude <laughs> so, i don't even know what that means either to be honest that in my head i'm so sorry essentially after uh the abolition of slavery there was an indentured servitude program that was implemented for all minorities. So there was an influx of Chinese and Indians as well. Um, And allegedly they were paid for their service, but really they weren't paid for their service. And even within that, what it meant was that blacks were still, or black people were still being used as cheaper labor. But yeah, so we learned about that in high school. So, and even within learning about that, you still found people that were like, oh, you know, slavery is over, we need to move on. Which, again, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But when you see people that are innocent, that are being murdered or killed, especially when the opposite happens, when their white counterparts are engaging in the same behavior and they're not being killed or they're not being held to account in the same way, I think we really need to look inward and and find out why people can't see the the very clear truth about what's happening. You know, I think, as you said, I understand when people don't necessarily want to take up the activism role, but especially f- for you guys now, now that you're able to reflect upon, as Shan was saying, some of the microaggressions that you've experienced, um, how does that make you feel about what's hap- what's happening now? Like, what kind of experiences did you guys have? Because I only experienced those kind of kinds of things when I was much older and when I was already cognizant of of race and all of the issues that came along with it. I remember, I th- I remember the very first time that I experienced like any form of racism to my memory. I remember I was in primary school, and we were all in the playground and we were just playing, and I think I must have only been in like year four or something. And one of the white boys from the younger years um, was playing with like some of our friends, and he was like, "Oh, I don't want to play with them because they're black." And at the time, I felt a kind of way about it, but I didn't really understand why or how. I didn't really understand now the color of my skin made me unlikable or different. And it's just something that always stuck with me. And kind of thinking back about it now, I'm like. How, at such a young age, can you decide that you don't like someone because of the colour of their skin? And then, what are you being taught at home then? What conversations are being had in your household if that's what you're bringing to school? And I think that's something that's really worrying, really scary. And if we look at what's happening now, are the same things happening in the playground? I think probably they are. And that terrifies me. No, no, definitely. Because that's why, you know... I've said this a few times, I like on the podcast, but like my little sister, the youngest one in particular, Mm. I always go on about like how beautiful she is and I always say to her, are you pretty? Are you beautiful? I don't mind if people think she's vain. That's fine, you know. I want her to have the confidence because that's confidence that in some time, in certain situations, I wasn't ever allowed to have. And like one day I was doing her hair for her 
And I was like, oh, um, I think she had them, it was like her birthday and she had them plaited with like extensions. And I was like, oh, how do you, it was like single plaits. I was like, oh, how do you want me to style it? And she was like, if you just put it up in a bun so it has a long ponytail, like all my friends at mm. school. I said, what friends? <laughs> what friends are like that? She wasn't talking about black friends. She wasn't talking about her black friends that had um, their braids and their ponytails. She was talking about the white girls. And nothing's necessarily wrong with that. That's her environment. But that's why it's so important that as a, um, a parent or as a community that we encourage our the younger people growing up to really love who they are because if I'm not there to keep being on her side about how great her blackness is, she's going to always want to aspire to be like the white girls and not just because their hair's in a ponytail, but because their hair's straight, because their hair's long. Do you, do you understand what I mean? And like her hair's grown immensely and the other day I was like to her, as a joke, she obviously won't get it, but her hair's ridiculously long now and I was like... Look at your hair now. When you go back to school, your hair's going to be longer than everybody in your class. I just wanted her to know, like, because there's, there's this silly stigma like, around... Like, I remember, I remember, I'm getting a bit off track here, but I remember when I went to this um, camping trip th- this time last year by myself. It was called the Black Girls Tramp Camping Trip. Shout out to them. And um, we did this thing where we had, like, a balloon in where to release something we'd been holding on to. And there's a girl, and she was like, my hair doesn't grow, my hair doesn't grow. And, like, our hair does grow. Like, maybe you don't know mm-hmm. what products to use in your hair... For your hair to grow. Do you, do, do, do you get what I mean? But mm. our hair definitely does grow. It's just about you finding the products that work. It's about you finding the routine that works. And it's like, we've got to get rid of those narratives because there's some there's someone in that girl's family or in her life that's continuously told her her hair doesn't grow. And that's why she hasn't explored all the avenues to find the products for it to grow. That's interesting, actually, what you guys both said because I don't remember, and I remember experiencing... Um, you know, I, I think I mentioned on the podcast before that I went to a majority white uh, Jewish prep school when I was in Jamaica. Um, and I definitely experienced racism there. But did you guys have par- talks with your parents about it? Because I don't think I had talks with mine about it at all. Like, it wasn't a topic of discussion. Yeah, not for me. For me, it was like... And I'm going to try not to get emotional. But um, I definitely did experience a lot of self-hate when I was growing up and I specifically remember one time I kept saying to my parents I was just like I I don't like me I don't like me and I couldn't really at the time I couldn't pinpoint where that was coming from but I know it was because all the girls in my class were getting attention I was always kind of the last one picked I was always like a second thought I remember I used to when I used to go to bed sometimes I'd like pull on my hair because I thought that would make it straight and it wasn't so much conversations about um, race and racism and being different, but it was more of kind of you need to love yourself and this is why you should love yourself and these are all the features that you should love. And kind of alongside that as well, it was kind of, there was just this always underlying thing of you need to always be the best, you need to do 100% more than everybody else. And it wasn't until I got older that I understood why. And the reason is because that we're black. I think one of the things um, I've learned in terms of um, de- not just dealing with racism, but even just the awareness of it is, um, you know, there's loads of research and loads of statistics to say that people who are more intelligent are more likely to experience mental health issues because they're so much more 
aware of the world and they're so much more aware of their own psyche and their own mental well-being and just the world around them. And I think the same goes for racism. It's like when your eyes are open to the injustices around you, it's hard to close them again. And then, you know, you don't then have to learn to live with that. Um, And, you know, going back to, you know, we were talking about how, um, you know, some people say, oh, you know, Black Lives Matter is a, is an American movement. Like, you know, why why are you so why are we so concerned about he- here in the UK? Like, why are people protesting, et cetera, et cetera? And that is just so frustrating and so narrow minded because, first of all, as we've established, like racism and prejudice and white privilege is a thing in the UK. But even if it wasn't, you know, when um, hashtag Where Are Our Girls which was about a Nigerian schoolgirls was trending. No one said that when Me Too, a movement which originally started in Hollywood was coming. No one said that. So how comes when it's about anti-blackness, people want to pretend like it's not happening in their own backyard? Yeah, that's very I, true. I think it's because they don't want to confront their own prejudices. Mm. I think it's a huge hang up that people have being labelled as well. And I think it's an important thing that we need to step away from. I mean, I'm the first one to say, like, look, I have problematic views about race because of my experiences. Maybe those are warranted or more warranted than um, justifications that white people might have for being racist. But, um, But I think if we can just step away from being afraid to be labeled and just talk about the behavior i i don't know if that would make a difference but i think it it would shift the narrative a little bit and kind of open up people's eyes a little bit more especially when you're having conversations with people who have actually done something that's offensive i mean i don't know if you guys are having conversations at work where people are being defensive and not wanting to be labeled as anything specific um, and how you're managing those conversations. I obviously don't have a job right now. So. <laughs> um, I can't speak to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know if you guys have been having those conversations at work or in your previous jobs. I think it's funny because in my previous job, there would be no way. There'd be absolutely no way. I I, I can imagine I'll try and bring up in a team meeting and just get bulldozed over however in my current job it's a very different story I remember a couple of days ago I was having a chat with my manager kind of just about this and kind of how can we are our podcasters allowed to talk about this sort of thing like are we going to support that and it turned into a really long conversation about all of this and how I'm feeling and it was it was good it was really really progressive and I just felt like this is good like I've never felt comfortable about having conversations about race in the workplace ever. And then we kind of took that to the team meeting and my colleagues are being very open and really supportive. And next week we're going to have a conversation about actually how do we all feel about what's happening? Like, do you feel like you do have um, privileges or uh, prejudice? And like, let's discuss it. Like, let's go into the detail of where you think this stems from. And I've never been able to have those conversations in the work environment. So I do feel very, very lucky. And my manager is very, Mm. very supportive. However, saying that, I do have friends that their organisations have barely even addressed what's happened. They're not saying George Floyd's name. They're not checking in with their black colleagues. 
So I feel very lucky for the situation that I'm in, but I know it's not the same for everyone. And when that's the case, I know it's really, really difficult. Yeah, I think um, my experience is a bit similar to yours. So um, yesterday I worked on a project which was about everything that's been going on. So it was about racial injustices, it was about racism, it was about George Floyd. And the department that I work in, in comparison to the wider company, is really small and is one that doesn't really get a lot of representation. But I've literally had an abundance of emails all days from the top, 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 top people of the whole company acknowledging the, the product that we've done and saying how they're looking at how they can move things forward, how they've learned. And, the, and the, thing is that the thing is that makes it even more raw, that they're being honest. They're saying, I've learned stuff. So they're not just saying, oh, that content was great. They're saying, this was good. It's even made me think. And that acknowledgement just shows that there's going to be change. So I feel like for me, the company that I've worked in, um, the organisation I work in, I don't really have an issue with that per se. I think my manager, um, she's white, but she just gets black culture. Like she's just, she is an ally. Like she's the MVP. There's no manager better than her in the world, like hands down. But like beyond her, like having her as a support system is great. But then who's her manager? Are they an MVP? Do I even know who they are? Do you know what I mean? And then, mm. and then you keep going up and up. And this experience has shown me that the, the maybe the, the attitudes I thought that they would have had is actually the complete opposite. Because they've all been really receptive. They're all now like, what can we do more? Do we need to do more shows like this weekly? Do we need to do this or that? So I think they've, they've, they've had a wake-up call and they're acknowledging it. And I think that's really important. important. It's the, acknowledging, the acknowledgement of your privilege. Like, some people are doing all these posts. Like, yeah, but it's Blackout Tuesday. Okay, cool, but, but do you know why you're doing it? Like, sis, babes, I know we're friends. And I know you're doing it to show that you're trying to be an ally or you are an ally. But talk about your privilege so that other people that you're connected to can understand what the hell this means. Because a lot of people are putting up these posts and they're doing it because then they know they're not racist, but they're not acknowledging their privilege. So how are we going to get changed by you dashing up the black picture? And I think that's why there's so much controversy online about the the impact that these pictures can have. Like, putting them on, putting them up is good, cool. But if you're going to put it up then your next post the next day is going to be you out in the park smoking cigarettes with your friends, that's not that's not creating change. And it's not to say that you've got to now, as Liv said earlier on, like, not everyone's an activist. It's not to say that you've got to now become pro-black person of the year. That It's really not that. But if you're going to do the post, put some weight on it so that yeah. it actually has... A, a, it actually has validity. Yeah, it's either do something or do nothing. Like, if you're going to do something, do it all the way. You know, I, I to, as you said, to post one picture or to post the blackout Tuesday picture, but then not to follow it up or for your post literally the two seconds after to be you on a boat sipping a Mai Tai. And, you know, I, <laughs> there's literally a, a an Instagram page that I follow where somebody posted the picture and they're in Atlanta so they're in the midst of what's going on in a lot of ways and two seconds later it was a picture of them on a boat sipping a drink and I'm just like you you're not even pretending to really care like the performative support here is beyond ridiculous and it shows a certain level of entitlement as well whether that's a class entitlement or a race entitlement to say that actually this doesn't affect me so I don't care it's like doing nothing or performative action. You're just siding with the side of the oppressor. Yeah, so interestingly, I have had um, white colleagues and white friends reach out um, 
and text me or email me and just be like, hey, you know, are you okay? Um, you know, how are you coping? Like, I want you, want you to know I'm here for you. Or I support you. Like, I see you. And it's interesting because, like, I appreciate that. But at the same time, I'm not really sure how to respond. Like, I'm not really sure what to say half the time. Because on one hand, it's... Like, on one hand, I want to be like, you know, like, not all black people are related. And, like, I'm kind of still able to carry on. But on the other hand, I'm like, yes, this is a massive loss and we are hurting as a community. And I'm not, I don't know, I'm not really sure what to say sometimes. Because, as you said, sometimes it does feel very performative. Like, they can pat themselves on the back and be like, yeah, I emailed Olivia and I checked in with her. So I've done my, <laughs> I've done my good deed. <laughs> I've done my no, good deed for the I- day. In two months' time, they'd be like, no, I'm not racist because when Black Lives Matter was trending, I messaged Olivia and asked her if she's okay. Good day for the day. So I'm actually a hashtag ally. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I don't really know how to respond sometimes because I kind of would be like, well, what are you actually doing to support? Like, what are you actually doing apart from sending this email? (laughs) But I do think, though, there's a pressure of... um, like, a lot of people are saying, like, oh, you guys need to be allies, these brands need to be allies. Like, Jackie Aina called out a lot of people. And with what she was doing in terms of brands and, like, big organisations who feed off of black culture, for example, Pretty Little Thing, where they've got lots of black amb- um, influencers and ambassadors, but don't want to be sh- doing any posts. And when they do a post, some half-hearted, really, really dark-skinned hand and really, really white hand. I mean, that's, that is that is ridiculous in itself. Black hands. But... What, what what do you guys think about that? Like, how much responsibility do you think should we put onto our white friends in this scenario? So if your friends, for example, lives or whoever, but in response to what Liv said, if none of your friends messaged you at all, would you then be doing like side eye? Like, hmm, everybody's quiet and they can't see it's trending. Like, what 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 do you think is a reasonable expectation that we should have on the white people around us? Well, this is what I was gonna say because i kind of felt this when it was all kicking off i was like you can see what i'm saying online you know anyway that i feel passionate about the stuff why have you not said anything to me directly so then i flipped it and just started messaging a couple friends and when the how are you came about i was just like well actually i'm feeling really exhausted i'm really kind of drained by everything the death of george floyd and everything that's gone on with that um what do you think about it to give them the space to say what they feel about it. Are these and, white people? Yeah. Yeah. And kind of get their take on the situation. And that's been really interesting because that really opened up a top, a level of discussion that we pr- really haven't had before. Mm. And all I ask of all my white friends, and so far they've been massively supportive of this, is please continue having these conversations with your other friends and other family that aren't black because you guys are going to reach corners of society that i can't and it's the conversation mm. that you guys need to have on your side because we all we all know what the deal is you know mm-hmm. so i at first was like why is nobody talking to me about it but now it's kind of like let me open those open those channels for conversation and have a really meaningful discussion i think mm. for me on a on a personal level it hasn't been that difficult because as we've established i don't have any white friends in the uk but um, <laughs> but my American British friends have been super supportive and super open, but that's because they're already in that mood. Like, that, you know, they've been doing the work even before all of this happened. 
Um, and so they're just kind of continuing in the same vein. But I think on a, on a wider scale, um, the responsibility of corporations and organizations is massive because in the same way that we talk about domestic and sexual violence being a man's problem because they are by and large mostly perpetrators, I think uh, we have to identify racism as a white problem. Like it is a problem that will ultimately have to be solved by white people because they are by and large the perpetrators of that specific type of prejudice. We can talk about other types of prejudice and, and I'm sure that answer would not necessarily be the same. But as it relates to racism and kind of um, prejudice against black people on an institutional level, I think it is a white problem. So for me, I definitely hold organizations to account, especially if they are um, benefiting from black culture or if the majority of their uh, patrons are black people. So I was having this conversation with um, my mum and we were talking about, you know, how do you get white people to actually kind of engage with this? Because as you said, like, you know, racism didn't, it's not a problem that black people started. So how can you expect us to solve it? Um, But, and we were talking and she was like, you know, what your generation needs to understand is that something like the term white privilege only really became within popular culture in the last five to ten years. Like, it's still quite a new ideology for people to get their head round. And the word privilege on its own, um, it has quite negative connotations. Like, it's, um, you know, it's similar to something like the word elitism. So if you're starting from a point where people feel attacked, um, they're less likely to want to engage So she said, you know, when she's holding um, diversity classes, she uses the phrase white protection because what is happening is that white people are protected from the issues Mm. that non-white people face and black people in particular face, Um, which she thinks, which she told me, you know, is often received a lot better because, you know, again, if something has only come into public consciousness within the last couple of years and not everyone is an intellectual not everyone is an academic not everyone is aware of what these terms mean so I think sometimes um you know when we speak to white people about privilege and they turn around they say I'm not privileged because I'm a woman or I'm not privileged because I'm poor or I'm not privileged because of this that and the other I don't think they always like a lot of time it's ignorance um but also they don't mean any harm if that makes sense like it's just that that term privilege can get people's backs up. So I think the term protection is a lot more helpful sometimes. I think that applies to like covert racism though. And I think what we're seeing in instances of George Floyd is like undeniably overt racism. I mean, I I get what you're saying and I 100% agree with you that maybe shifting the language or the way in which we're talking makes a difference. But how do you how do I, as a black person, justify somebody saying, calling me the N-word in the middle of the street, as Shan mentioned when she was, I don't know, a teenager? Or how do you justify somebody telling you, as I've been told in the middle of the station, to go back and sell bananas in Nigeria? You know, like... And they're not even Nigerian. And I'm not even Nigerian. (laughs) Like, you know, they're... 
how do you tackle those kinds of instances without rising to a level of anger that we've seen in terms of people coming out and protesting like that shit is just infuriating you know what i mean and it it's hard to have a level head about when you encounter those kinds of circumstances i don't know if you guys have ever been in those situations where you've literally just been so insulted by someone where you just don't know what to do with yourself Sure. No, I totally, I totally agree with that, that there are lots of incidents, including George Floyd, where it is like clearly overt racism. Like it's clearly because of the colour of skin that someone uses the N word or someone, um, you know, you're treated differently than your white counterparts. I guess what I'm referring more to is, you know, people who consider themselves allies to black people. They may have black friends, black partners, but they still find the term white privilege difficult to digest because it's not just, it's not privilege for some people just isn't a word you would normally use in your vocabulary anyway. Like if you're not someone that's particularly academic um, and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be belittled here or whatever, but I'm just trying to say like, it can be a difficult concept to get your head around oh for sure especially when you've experienced some sort of prejudice yourself as you said lives like whether you're a woman or whether you're mm. from a you know from a lower class and i use that word very loosely because i try not to ascribe to that kind of mentality or whether you're disabled or whether you're from the lgbtq plus community and you're white so i 100 percent agree with you mm. but at the same time it is you know it's exhausting like it's not it's not without a fight you have to have those conversations mm. so yeah it's really hard it's really hard especially when you're having them on social media right like when you're having them with people that you don't actually even know it can get really crazy i don't know if you guys have been interacting or just seeing the conversations that have been going back and forth on like twitter in particular it's actually been mad What do you guys think of um, the way that, because we were just talking about performative, um, performative kind of activism. Um, what do you guys think? I don't know if you, any of you have seen it, but there feels like there's been a lot of TikToks, particularly, where like white people almost like acting, like it's almost like they're in the musical, th musical theatre about like oh. being stopped by a police officer or like, it's very strange to me. It's very like odd that, or like, or I've seen um, makeup artists doing yeah. like BLM. The on, things on, on their lash, on their eyes. Yeah. Oh, I saw one the other day. No, I saw one the other day as this girl and she was posing, looking all cute, yeah. And her hand was on her neck. And when she moved her hand, there was a red print. And I just thought, we're taking this what? away too Is far. Is that supposed to this represent creativity. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Or like I being strangled, that. pressure to the neck, whatever it was. I just found it really uncomfortable. So a lot of the things that's been going on, I don't really think I've seen it because I'm trying to avoid seeing stuff like that. Because I know that, because I suffer with anxiety and stuff like that, I know that this, being consumed by this too much, along with COVID and stuff like that, it will just get very overwhelming. So I'm trying to be conscious of how much um, of what's going on that I'm consuming. But I, ha I did see that particular video the other day and I just thought outrageous. Like, what was you trying to, what was the point of your message? Did you even speak? Listen, I can't comply with tiktok tiktok is a place where racism thrives because even before the death of george floyd i remember i read this whole twitter thread about all the racist kind of trends that go on on tiktok like there's this whole trend of like white girls calling their black boyfriends the n-words 
Yeah. Oh yeah, just, I saw some of these. All sorts oh of stuff. Jesus. And it's just, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with TikTok. It's just not. Doesn't even make sense. I just, I feel like they should be, especially now, they should be doing more to kind of like filter and kind of keep an eye on the content that's going on there. Because that's just, because also the age of the people that are on TikTok, they are young and they're very, very easily influenced. And it's very scary. young. I'm not on TikTok, but I have seen a few of the things. And I think, uh, you know, Liv's made a good point when we were bringing up this uh when we were discussing how to kind of navigate this discussion about social media and the trauma or lack of trauma that you are exposed to when you see these things online and i think for us i think we could i assume that we can all agree that actually seeing these videos and seeing even just as shan said the performative behavior of many of our white counterparts has been very 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 triggering and the research uh, you know, reaffirms that the research shows that when black people and white people watch these triggering videos, that the impact of compound trauma that and depression that follows for people that are minorities is vastly um, exacerbated in comparison to the white counterparts. And for me, it's also just it shows as Shan said, the kind of performative stuff that's been going on or even what Leanne was referring to or what we saw earlier today about the George Floyd challenge, which is where white people are reenacting, stepping on somebody's neck or kneeling on somebody's neck, shows how little impact it has on our counterparts. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, let's show these videos, let's show them what's really happening, that this is actually happening. People know that it's happening. They're not moved by these videos. And all we're doing is just re-traumatizing ourselves and putting ourselves in a situation where we have to deal with the aftermath of that. So, from- Can I just say, though, on that note as well, with the, the, project, the project I worked on yesterday that I was talking about, actually a lot of white people were uh, consuming the content and quite a lot of them were actually really honest about their, um, their ignorance towards our experiences. Um, there was a lot of people who are mums who were saying that they that, that after watching this that um after listening they're now gonna be more, more aware of how they raise their sons. There were some people saying they feel embarrassed. And so I, so I definitely do feel like with what's going on now, of us all collectively speaking out more about this, that hopefully the the experience can be a bit different. Cause I feel like normally it is it is definitely just centered around one or two of us. But I think this hasn't died down yet. It's still much... In fact, we're, getting, we're seeing protests. I even saw a picture of protests in Bournemouth. I didn't even There's know Bournemouth cared. I'm going on the weekend. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't believe it. I used to live I used to live in Bournemouth for uni. And I'm sorry, that's the most whitey, white, white, white place Where ever. is Bournemouth? Like, sorry. Down south. Um, in like... I don't know where it is. It's in the beach. Okay. By the beach. Oh, that must have been nice. <laughs> I, lived, I lived there for three years and that's my answer. It's, it's by um, the beach. It's South England. Okay. Like it's... Way down south. Way down south. It's down south. them sides, isn't it? <laughs> but when I, I remember I worked there in Iceland, poor little me, and the way the white people used to act with me when I was serving them was atrocious. After that, I said, forget it, I'd rather be poor at uni. Like, it was just a madness. So to see that there's a black community there, and it wasn't even just black people protesting, that are protesting there, to me was like, wow. Because I, I experienced a lot of racism living down there. And that was literally like two, three years ago. Do you think it's... um? worth showing the videos then do you think the the videos do actually have impact on on white people and their perception of what's happening or do you think we can do it without showing kind of the more triggering 
You mean like the you mean like Stuff. you mean like the actual videos of like the one yeah. that we saw of Floyd? Yeah. I do think you need to see it. Like I do think it makes a difference to actually see it with your own two eyes. And I know that the girl that filmed it is now getting abused and harassed. She's 17 and she's going, yeah, she's going through therapy because she's receiving a lot of abuse saying, you know, you should have stepped in, you should have done something. Why did you just stand there and film it? What do you want her to do? 17-year-old girl. And like... I think people talk about this argument all the time. Like, if you just think about something like um, war photographers and people are like, you know, why How? Why do you just go into war to just take photos? Like, why aren't you actually helping? And I think, like, yes, it's true. Like, you know, actually doing something versus taking a picture of it is obviously better. But at the same time, like, people need to open their eyes and see things for what they really mm. are. And you could write a tweet saying, oh... You know, I just saw a man get strangled to death by a police officer and I guarantee you would not get the same response as the video. Mm. Mm. The one one thing I'll say about that is on the news reports that they're doing on all the channels, please, can you put a warning of distressing images before you keep showing that video? Yeah. Show it because we need to show what's happening. But come on, give us a warning. Don't normalise this image like it's not distressing because it is. Yeah, when I watched the George Floyd video, I didn't know what I was watching. I literally just opened up my social media, my Twitter timeline, and then it it was there and I didn't know what I was watching. And so I wish somebody had said, this is triggering, don't watch it or be careful or think about it before you watch it beforehand. So, yeah. So um, just quickly, the other day, my friend um, in one of my group chats, she was, was talking about, you know, what's been going on and things like that. And she said... Do you think it's possible to suddenly stop being racist? I think she meant like, not literally wake up tomorrow, you're not racist, but like through education to stop being racist. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the only way to stop being racist is through educating yourself and whether that's through lived experience or through reading. Um, I definitely think somebody who, I mean, I think we've seen examples of that time and time again where people have acted in a racist way or done racist things and then recognize the error of their ways. Yeah, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, council culture and, you know, the problems with just writing someone off and saying, you know, this person's cancelled, they're not getting a second chance, rah, rah, rah. Because um, if that was the case, then racism would never be solved as an issue. Um you know, you can't have the approach of if someone genuinely is showing that they want to change, then to say, oh, no, you're still racist. It's like, well, what do you expect to happen now? Like, what do you how do you expect us to move past this if that's your approach? And I get that it comes from a place of anger and frustration. And like, you know, some people being like, I don't like I don't believe this guy like he's just chatting shit. But at the same time, you know, if someone's actively going out their way to to show a difference, then I think you have to say, OK, cool, we'll you know, we want to believe this person because we want to try and get to a place where racism isn't a problem and we live in a better world and that's the only way you can do it. Um, Like, for example, like, I don't know if you guys know Logan Paul. He's a YouTuber. I cannot stand that. I feel like he sounds familiar. (laughs) Is he a gamer? Uh, He's just famous for... What's he famous for? Like, doing pranks on people? Yeah, I think doing pranks. He may be a gamer, I'm not sure, but doing pranks is the thing that kind of got him more widely known outside of the youtube world but he's 
a super controversial character um, and he's done loads of very problematic things. But he did a video the other day that went viral saying, you know, I'm ashamed that it took me 25 years to realise this, but, you know, um, it's not enough to be... Uh, what's the phrase he used? It's not enough to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. Um, and, you know, white supremacy is a thing. And then he was seeing that the Black Lives Matter one of the Black Lives Matter protests in in the US. So that's kind of like, do you know what? Like, I can still give you a side eye for things you've done in the past, but I appreciate seeing that kind of development in a person that has the platform he does. Yeah, and I think it makes it that much more powerful to hear from somebody who has recognised the change. Like, for him to now go out and speak and be a part of the movement, I think is extremely powerful. I mean, I, I believe in growth in like every sense of the word. And I think knowledge is power. And I think the only way to kind of get rid of that mentality is through knowledge and education and a lot of it. And I do I do think it's possible because like if 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 no one could change, then we'd literally be stuck in this rut for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. We'd be fucked. Literally. <laughs> literally. Deep in it now, we'd be fucked. 100%. That's a good question, Shana. I never really yeah. thought about that. Um, so what do we do now, guys? Like, what happens next? I mean, how do we move forward from this? How do we heal? How do we, you know, what happens now? I think that, um, you know, one thing that I think is happening is the um, sort of low-level conversations. And when I say low-level, I mean, like, between colleagues, between friends, between family members. The bigger, wider problems are you know institutional racism um and how we're going to get past that so you know I would love if we could all be on the same page and I would love if um people could accept that you know it shouldn't matter the color of your skin but if police brutality is still going to be a thing and an unfair juridical jury how do you say that word judicial judicial if an unfair judicial system is still going to be a thing, then we're only going to get so far. So the change, it really, truly does have to come from the top, coming, you know, from police officers and politicians and mayors and people who have power. And how we get to that stage um, is is ongoing. You know, I think the protests yeah. are one way because it's like getting us on the news and it's getting, um, you know, our faces out there and our, our movement out there. But you know, it's a whole other kettle of fish to to change actual how the world works. Because I remember I was watching an interview of Patrice Cullors, who's one of the three female founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. And she said, you know, we were going for years and years and years. And like I met, she said, it took so long before I was even just invited into the White House, to even just be invited to speak to my mayor, to even just be invited to speak to politicians. And she's at the very like top of this movement. So I think in order for things to actually change, like, I don't know, like I wish there was a light switch I could turn, but truth is it's going to take a very long time. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, I'd probably say um, in terms of healing, I'll definitely say prayer. And the reason why I would say that is because I don't think that anger is always the best way. I always encourage people around me to allow their body to feel the emotions they want to feel. But I feel like with negative emotions, they shouldn't consume you 
for days and weeks and years. And I think when that happens, it ends up spiraling into something else. So I'll definitely say prayer for that. And then in terms of change, I think, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen overnight, but I definitely think increasing visibility in the spaces that are problematic is one of them. So if the police force is problematic in America or whatever, and it happens to be predominantly white, we need to have more black people in those spaces. We need to encourage more more black people to become politicians, to make changes and things like that. That's like one... Why did that happen? Oh, that's like one aspect. And then also in, in terms of like just educating our kids and our children and the people around mm-hmm. us and our friends so that we do call out of stuff. I feel like there's a lot of people who... Well, I know for me anyway, there's a lot of things that I didn't call out growing up. And obviously that's a lot harder said than done. But if we was all calling out things all the time, it wouldn't be so normal for other people to act in the way they do. Because I, yeah. I, I genuinely do feel a lot of people act in, act in the way they do because... They just don't know no better. I'm not saying that active racists who call you the N-word. I don't mean like that. I mean like people who don't have an issue with black people, but they, they'll sometimes do microaggressions at work because they just think it's funny. So they find it funny to say, you look like Stormzy because you're dark-skinned and you look nothing like Stormzy. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Like those, that, that level. Um, yeah, I guess we, I guess it sounds so cheesy, but we, we just got to be the change we want to be. So when we're saying we want to encourage people, to, like we want people to have this sort of attitude, what are we actively doing to to contribute towards that yeah no i 100 percent agree with you i think um for me one of the things is as you just said kind of our own kind of mental health and healing and i think going off of what liv said as well it's okay to not be at the front lines or on the front lines you don't have to feel guilty about that like ultimately well-being is is so important and just even for me who I feel like my some of my professional work definitely overlaps in this area I definitely feel a sense of like weariness and being extremely just exhausted and tired as we've all kind of said and I definitely have the utmost respect for people who have done it for a longer time the Angela Davises the Nikki Giovannis the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, I, I I tip my hats off to them because that kind of resilience is just exactly what we need, but it's really hard, so hard. So I just, I encourage people to rest and, you know, definitely take care of themselves during this time. Yeah, just to kind of echo what you've all said, I think that the conversations that we're having at the moment with our non-Black friends colleagues family are so so important because if we have those conversations with them and they have those conversations with others they can reach people that we're not reaching um so i think the conversation is important and that's something that everybody can do in terms of the systemic issue i don't have the answer and i don't know how we're going to get there all i will say is we'll have to see what happens in the november election to see how we can progress further Gosh, I mean, I think there are many things that all of us can do, um, you know, whether it's just in our personal conversations, as as Lives and Shan pointed out, or whether it's voting, which is equally as important, or whether it's supporting various organizations, or whether it's just finding a safe space like us, like dope black women to come together and talk and heal and, and share. I think all of those things are equally as important. And I don't 
just echoing what you guys have said and something that I feel like I've learned today is to definitely hold people within our community and instead of judging their actions or making any assumptions about where they stand because of their perceived silence and you know all of us are handling this in our own way and we just have to kind of hold each other um and and love on each other as much as we possibly can so yeah guys i hope this has been a really good discussion for everybody and we all feel like we've gotten something off of our chest or just been able to share in a way that we haven't been able to up until this point during the course of the past few weeks um, you'll also hear from many of the women in our WhatsApp group who have sent in voice notes about, you know, how they're feeling at this time and what they'd like to see happen. So the way I feel about the current situation now is I'm sad and I'm frustrated and I'm tired of seeing all the reports of census killing of black people in the US and also the UK due to racism and discrimination but I do have hope and I'm glad that the Black Lives Matter movement is picking up in momentum and people are taking action whether that's by donating to affected black families donating to activist groups signing petitions and protesting and I just want to see change for black people and for black people to feel safe in society the great Maya Angelou said lift up every voice with these protests, I'm seeing the reignition of the burning fire within us to be seen and to be heard and known as the magnificent beings that we are. My desire for the next steps. I want this fire to evolve into a sustained fuel for the growing wealth of our communities. The next step should be twofold on the macro level. Greater emphasis and support behind any initiatives that involve the reform of the judicial system, while simultaneously, now more than ever, redefining what wealth means on a community level. Hi, my name's Dominique and I run an online hair shop called Hair Pop and I found what's been happening to the black community at the moment very triggering. It's been very emotional and it's been difficult in terms of knowing what to do. I hope that in my lifetime, I'm in my 30s, I actually get to see a new version of the official of the black wall street where we've got things that are all black owned and our community are actually supporting one another my name is carmelita wallace and while i feel the level of engagement across the world is uplifting in relation to the protest it's also upsetting that it's taken this long to come to light there's so many parallels between the uk and the us and as a black british female i think more needs to be done rather than just standing in solidarity. Workplaces need to ensure they have diversity and inclusion officers. Programmes need to be designed to teach and educate white British people in the workplace how to ensure they're not using racial slurs. And there needs to be support systems and mentors to actively check on their black employees. So, you know, I attended the protest today and it is amazing to see all these beautiful, different black people coming together to say please to say enough enough is enough i matter and even if you don't want to hear it i will still matter and i will shout it until it is heard in all the right places So we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them from. On Twitter and Instagram, we're Dope Black Women 1. And on Facebook, we're just Dope Black Women. 
We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Blackity black. Plattastic. Hey! Hey. And so this week, I think we just want to provide a safe space for the voices. Ah, for- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm- I tried to do it, but I didn't get the time. <laughs> oh my days. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's okay, uh, all right. Okay. I was trying to mute it, but that's I was, I was turning down my, my speaker on my phone rather than yeah, sorry. <laughs> Do you know what the worst thing is? My I like I had such a delay, so like you're all laughing and then all the hell was, ah, yeah. oh. I was like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry, I'm really that's really I'm sorry. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.